0: This
1: is the shift
0: podcast today on the shift daily podcast. Matt Eicheldinger is a teacher who went viral for his quite hilarious, sentimental and inspiring teaching stories he shares online. He joins us to share those experiences and go over all the different ways teachers inspire us. Plus, we'll take a look at the start of the Terry Fox runs Marathon of Hope as part of flashback Friday. And are you okay with tattoos and so much more? Sometimes in life, you get introduced to people that you just think are cool. That's what's neat about social media. You can kind of find people that are cool. It's sort of like making friends as an adult 101. Now, I've shared with you before here on The Shift that my sister is a teacher, and I think she's one of the special ones, one of the very special teachers that is so dedicated to teaching that it's every fiber of their being. So much so her son has become a teacher, her husband is a principal, it just sort of cascades on from there. And the kind of teacher that's been teaching I'm so successfully and so long that now one of her students is a teacher in her school. Cool, right? How cool is that? Well, with all of that, I'm introducing you here to a teacher. His name's Matt, Matthew Eicheldinger, um, or Matthew, if he's in trouble from his parents, um, is here, you're a teacher, you're <laughs> in Minnesota, eh? Oh, I gotta do the Minnesota and uh,
2: yeah, I've, I've tried working on the. Can't accent, get it. but, it it's, it, but you're it like yet.
0: Canadian by proxy if you're that <laughs> close. I would say. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Sure. Uh, Matt does social media <laughs> posts, sharing stories of being a teacher, and uh, they're quite amazing, and they're honest and heartfelt, and they're not like any attempt to be slick. They're just a guy telling stories. Matt, how uh, how are stories important for you as a teacher?
2: Uh, they're extremely important. And you know, what's funny is um, I've actually saved these stories since I began teaching, not in long form. I would write little notes in yearbooks or in journals or um, even type them up just real quick. And uh, it wasn't until recently that I started actually reflecting on those moments. Uh, but stories have always been important because when a kid walks in your room, you want them to understand that their story matters, right? But for, for teachers, we don't really get uh, a lot of opportunity, except for our summers <laughs> when we're trying to, to relax uh, and, and rejuvenate. But we really don't get a chance to reflect on on those really um, small moments that have happened in our rooms and how they impact you, not just as a teacher, but as a person. And so um, over the summer is when I really started to just look at these things and decide to start telling them on uh, social Classes media. Classes
0: are bigger than ever. Curriculums are changing faster than ever. Kids have more needs than ever. They're, uh, you know, the the political correctness of all things in front of anybody is more than ever. And so here you are um, able to take a moment. I mean, all of that busy that you have in your day, how special is it to sit mm-hmm. down and remember those incredibly golden moments and be with those moments? Kind of like you said, I like when you said yearbook, like those yearbook moments that you are are mm-hmm. sentence worthy to to flash back to you, that, that must really be the good payday.
2: It really is. You know, when I went into teaching, you always hear about like, oh, when you see a kid learn something or finally grasp a concept, that's going to be the thing that you love the most, which is true. Like I love it when a kid finally grasps a concept they've been working on. Um, but to go back and look at more of like the humanity part of teaching, right? Like growth of a person. That's where I have found it to be much more impactful for me. When you watch a kid do something that's genuine from the heart without any prompting, uh, and you get to see that over the course of many years, you start to, you know, become really attuned to um, what is it like to treat other people with a genuine kindness. And, you know, I think a lot of teachers would be able to look back on it. I think what's unique about me is I just have happened to record it. And uh, put it in a journal and take the time to look back and see what it was that I was witnessing. Because I didn't always catch in the real time. I knew the moment was important, but I didn't necessarily understand I what I was I had that learning. conversation
0: with my friend who's a retired police officer. And he said, if I could have mm-hmm. recorded my life, it is years and years of series of things i've seen things i've been through that nobody wants to go through things you can't unsee yeah. and then these miraculous moments that make you want to come back for more and so i think of him and policing mm-hmm. sort of you know, like those tv shows right but an entire career of what somebody would see for you it would be very very similar like these uh everything from light bulb moments amazing, awe, impressive, mm-hmm. the, I didn't have that on my bingo card today moments to, you know, to these frustrating <laughs> yeah. moments as I can't cut through. And then all of a sudden you you take all that and, and the moments that want to bring you back for more. What does it give you, Matt, when you are able to look at those moments? I I guess what I, I hear when you say that you've finally been able to reconcile <laughs> them, Um, maybe there's a bit of a challenge of, you need yeah. to be reminded why you love it.
2: Absolutely. And that's actually how they came about. So, you know, pre me telling these stories, which has only happened this summer, I was on TikTok and I was, I would probably categorize myself as like teacher humor, right? Kind of like teasing your own profession, making light of the hard situations. And, uh, I had some success, but after a while I was, I just felt like I was in an echo chamber of like negativity, not to say that all teacher humor on, on platforms is negative, but I wasn't getting anything meaningful out of it. And the the challenges of the profession were also weighing on me. And I was like, I need something to rejuvenate myself. What do I got? And it wasn't until I started looking at some of those moments where I was like, oh, these are these are way more impactful for me than I ever thought. And I wonder if it'll resonate positively with anyone else. So when I really sat down and started to look at these things that I'd experienced over the course of my 15-year career of teaching... Um, that's when I really started to see like, Oh, um, the things that happened in my classroom are much more powerful than maybe I first thought when I was experiencing them.
0: All right. So you've been teaching for 15 years. Uh, you have like family and all the things around. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, you said meaningful, meaningful, is so big, right? Uh, it's so important in everything that we do. And so what I, what I've noticed for this is that, um, We think we're all smart and righteous when we go into our careers, right? (laughs) Yes, we do. I'm I'm gonna change the world. Yeah. and But yet, it actually, it sort of flips the script on us and changes us around. Here are a couple of examples of how I've recently learned Mm -hmm. that the perspective uh, I had all wrong. For example, my kids. I learned very quickly that um, my kids are teaching me more than I'm teaching my kids. Mm -hmm. Um, They're teaching me how to be a kid again. They've got the kid part figured out. My my parents. Um, I, I wrote this piece where sorry, life doesn't begin. Life doesn't begin when you're born. Life begins at the birth of yours, and I think that that is so incredibly important to remember um, mm-hmm. for anybody who considers having children. Um, my parents. I've realized that I'm watching my parents grow up in front of me. Here I am being a child, thinking that they're watching me grow up, and they are. Mm-hmm. But I'm actually watching my parents grow up. When you can flip that perspective. You really can get refreshed in how you look at things. Mm -hmm. What I'm hearing from what you're saying, Matt, is that you almost realized that you came in here to be a teacher. But in fact, 15 years later, there is a long list of stories where you're actually the student.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Actually, really, that part that you said about watching your parents, uh, that's really resonating right now. I feel like I'm watching my parents sometimes, excuse me, for the first time. Um, watching how they navigate situations, and they've probably always done it that way. But as a parent and a father and a teacher, I'm just starting to see it in a much different lens. Um, so for me, I think, well, let's go back. What was the original question? <laughs> Side oh,
0: really? Was yeah, there was a
2: lot there. Um,
0: <laughs> the but really, they they've, <clears throat> they've turned you from the teacher into oh, yeah. the student. Fifteen years later, you realize that you're the one who's actually learning here.
2: Yeah, and you know, it's you. When you're looking to rejuvenate yourself, that's what you're looking for, right? You're you're all of a sudden like I want to be the student because I want to learn something. So then you look back at those situations not as you know the teacher or the profession professional, but you're looking at it from like um, what can I gain from that experience instead of just going through it. And I think in the teaching profession, especially like when you experience some of these things of really emotional moments, you are in that moment just trying to be helpful and you're trying to guide and facilitate and you know when you look back on a lot of those moments you start to realize um, the powerful life lessons that are in there that you just happen to skip over because you were too busy doing your job and then teaching your job is to to help and facilitate and so you know viewing those experiences as a student is absolutely life-changing
0: i like the word guide yeah you know, versus teach, I've really tried to flip that around as opposed to teaching people just help them navigate, right? Like, be a bit of a guide and guide with guidance comes leadership a little different than teacher comes coaching and almost righteousness, right? Yeah, I draw the distinction between the difference between um, a coach, a mentor and a leader, right? Sure. Like a coach is the coach's agenda. And if it's a a player scenario, then Mm -hmm. it's the player subscribes to the coach's agenda, right? Mm. Um, A mentor delivers what they want for the betterment of the student, right? Yeah. And uh, a leader just goes and people follow. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the magic that happens inside teaching when, when you're able to to sort of create that as you speak of it, what do you say to teachers who have hit that 15 year mark, which I would imagine is when in any (laughs) career you start to become jaded, um, you know, kind of get into the, well, if I ride it out for 15 more years, I can retire. And you go through that jaded script. I've been through it here. I've been on the radio 27 years and um, Mm. I went through it. It was about twenty. Uh, it was about fifteen years. I probably hit it, and then I yeah. held on for five more yeah. before I took a before I stepped back and 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 really reevaluated. What do you say to all the teachers that are leaving work frustrated, that are leaving work tired? They're considering that, ugh, maybe I'm done. I mean, they they came there to guide those children, mm-hmm. right, yeah. and to help them navigate life. What do you say to those teachers because you seem to have found a bit of gratitude in what it is?
2: Yeah, I think for me. You know, I always, I'm a guy of routine. I love routines. They're predictable um, in professions. I know that's helpful, but I think over time with teaching is you get in this routine and you just start to lose uh, passion when you get into a routine sometimes. And, you know, for me, when I started to look at what I was going through early on in my career, I, I would consider myself more of like the the coach. Like I could stand up in front of my students and just talk for a long time, but there wasn't a lot of choice there for my students. And, uh, it wasn't until I kind of changed my teaching style that I started to see those benefits of these small moments, right? You get to see more of that when you facilitate rather than coach. Sometimes you get to see kids outside of what they would have normally been doing. And it creates an atmosphere that you hadn't been a part of before. And it makes your job seem like revitalized. So if you are stuck, you know, as a teacher, I would encourage you to just change it up completely, like start over like scratch what you've been doing, the routines that you've had, not necessarily the foundational blocks of education or like the, you know, the research that goes into some of the best practices, but it's okay to change up your style in an effort to revitalize yourself. Um, so for me, one of the things that I changed is we started, uh, having at the beginning of each class and I teach like four to five classes a day of the same thing. Um, at least once a week, usually on Mondays we sit and just talk about whatever we want. Typically, I have four questions on the board. One of them is how's your weekend? And then I've got three more related to random things that are going on in the world, pop culture, social media, um, or anything that the student wants to bring up. And for me, that was a great way to get back to what is this classroom going to be about. And the classroom is about learning, but it's also about learning from each other. And so providing students that opportunity to like share who they are. What is their story and how does it fit into the greater scope of the world? Uh, was a really big changer for me this past couple of years.
0: I would imagine that many people don't create that character of the classroom. Um, here on the show, like we have a character that is the show, mm-hmm. right? Um, is it, is it shifty? It's <laughs> kind of what we say, okay. right? Um, I would imagine a lot of teachers um maybe maybe you do maybe it's part of the thing i mean you're educated you know the curriculum you've gone through all the steps you're obviously an expert and a veteran at what you do i mean all these teachers you've you've done the work Mm -hmm. right but do you walk into the classroom and and have that intention of this classroom is word 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 right Mm -hmm. i mean safe space is one of those ones but if maybe it's maybe it's playful right Uh, maybe it's playful and disciplined at the same time um creating an intention of what that environment is, what that space is, is is that an important part of what a teacher can do to stay focused the way that you said, but at the same time, still uh, create those, those different changes and those different moments?
2: I think so, at least for me, because I think some teachers really find passion in their content, right? Like there are some teachers that like, Oh, I love science. I'm all about science. I do science in my spare time, you know, and I think (laughs) (laughs) the weird ones like math, by the way, yes, yes, I found that. Um, and I think that's, and I think that's okay. Like, I think, too, you have to remember the kids walking in your room are representing a whole vast array of experiences. And some walk in that room, and they really want to do science, and they only want to talk about science, because that's what they love. And so I think it's okay for kids to have that variety in their day, like I would, I want kids to like me and I want them to like my style, but I also want them to feel engaged to their other teachers. And if there's just copies of me around the school, that's not a variety and that's not getting every kid what they need. And so I think for every teacher, it's just a little bit different and it just depends on your situation.
0: Since you've been able to refresh that purpose that you talk about, uh, do you look forward to going into work every morning a little bit differently?
2: I do, especially the days where I would hold those circles of where I know that there's no agenda, there's no like management that I have to do. We're just going to get to know each other a little bit. Um, Those are what I look forward to the most. It's that discussion-based atmosphere that's really changed for me. And, you know, um, I also think, you know, entering, you know, year 15, I like to compare myself to like first-year teacher Matt. Like what would first-year teacher Matt be doing right now? and how would that be a better thing or maybe worse than I'm doing right now? Um, I think that's okay to compare yourself to when you were earlier in your career. I think a lot of teachers go into their first year teaching of that attitude of like, I will change the world, like you mentioned. And uh, I like to pick and choose the best qualities of the older versions of me uh, to really kind of guide what I do in the future.
0: Isn't naivety beautiful though? Yes, it
2: really is. I mean, truly. I'm sure for you too. you might look at your earlier work and be like, What the heck was I thinking? <laughs> like, <laughs> it's a few times, you know, right? Yeah. what was I doing? But then you also like, there's some grace in failure, right? So you look back on the things that you didn't do well. And then hopefully you're in an opportunity where you can teach others and mentor others on what they can do early on. And I think that's a, a great part of the atmosphere that I was a part of. I had some great mentor teachers that were looking at me like, Hey, what are you doing? And then some who are like, we need to let this guy fail on his own once to learn. Um, And I think the mix of the two really impacted how I grew in the first three years of my profession.
0: Does it make you a better dad now that you've gone through this? uh,
2: You might have to ask my wife. I think there's (laughs) there are there are some days where, and I talk about this a few times, um, where it's hard to turn off the switch of when you come home, and I have to turn off my teacher voice and I need to be, I think, slower with my own children. And I think that is, it wasn't as parent as a parent when my kids were younger, but now I have a middle schooler and another child in late elementary. And I am trying to be a lot more cognizant of like how I listen to them and how I respond. Um, because I think there is a difference between how you respond to the teacher and how you respond as a father.
0: Oh, that's good. Um... How we respond as a father. Yeah. That makes me think. It really does, right? I mean, because we have this role of that dads are supposed to respond a certain way. Yeah. Matt Eicheldinger is our guest here on The Shift. I'm Shane Hewitt. He's a teacher from Minnesota. He's insta-famous for sharing the stories about being a teacher. Does being a teacher make you a better dad, do you think?
2: Mm -hmm.
0: Or just maybe a crazier one? Sure. (laughs) I'm joking, of course, but they're kids. They need structure, and fun. But at the same time, all they want is us to respond and be authentic and get to know us a little bit, right? I, I can tell you this, my kids one day, I, I, I did a bunch of work on relationships and, and all that. And I said to the kids, I said, what do you want? If you could pick one thing to change in all of this? And it, here's me thinking like, let's go to Disneyland, right? Like, right? Um, I want a new iPhone. Um, sure. And you know what they said? They said, we don't want yeah. you to yell so much. And that hit me like a ton of bricks. And I, so I sort of applied that work yeah. and I said, okay, well, I bet we need to make a deal then because I get frustrated when you don't listen or when you argue. And sometimes, um, we can have a conversation about things and sometimes I just need you to do it and I need you to trust me as your dad. Do you trust me? Yes. Okay. I trust you and I trust that this does not work for you yeah. and we changed it and it's broken down a few times, but we, we what we created was this sort of reset point. where we said, we agreed, no yelling, and I just broke that. I do have a problem with what happened, though. So the way I went about Mm. it, not okay, we agreed that. And then now, let's talk about what went wrong. And that's a big impact.
2: It is. Did you find to, um, I remember the first time I apologized to my own children. Do you remember doing that? And how that felt?
0: Oh, it felt it was such a mixed emotion, right? Because it felt incredibly wrong. Like I'm the dad, (laughs) like something that was woven into me that I don't even understand. But at the Mm. same time, it was almost the most raw moment of authenticity that I really had with anybody. Yeah. Right. It's kind of, kind of like, you know, we never talk about the things we can't handle. We only talk about the things we think we can handle. That's why we bring them up to our friends and, (laughs) and we, but we don't talk about things we can't handle and we can't handle that, that, that piece. I break it down to this. This is what I learned from it in the ordinary distinction of strong and weak, you have Mm-mm. to know strong and weak yeah. to be, to do the same thing, right? Like you have to know hot to understand cold. You have to know broke to understand rich, uh, strong and weak. But then I realized what power was mm. and you can apologize to your kids and be powerful and not have to worry about looking weak or being strong. Yeah. And, um, and that's, that's what my kids taught me that 100% that I can be I can be kind and soft and tender and Mm -hmm. I can be stern and I can be disciplined. And I can be the dad with their best interest at heart. And all of those things at once, I can say I'm sorry and still be powerful. And that's what kids teach me.
2: Yeah, I remember when I I had a conversation with with my wife, and I have no problems with the way I was raised. Like I feel like I had a great childhood, but I remember verbalizing like, I want my kids to have a healthy fear of me. And like early on when I was a father. And I, I don't think that now, you know, I was, it was more of like, I never wanted to disappoint my parents and I hope my kids, you know, think in the same kind of train of thought, but really I think there's, there's a difference between two types of firmness, right? You can be firm with your kids and scary, or you can be firm and gentle. And I found that when I was teaching, I was, I was being firm and gentle with my students and I was coming home and I was being firm and fearful, like with my own children. And, uh, that's where that apologizing came into play. And I think a lot of teachers go through that too, is they, they expend all of their emotional energy at at work for these other children. And then you get home and you feel like you've got nothing left for your own kids. And so, you know, changing my approach to education, it wasn't quick, but, um, it, it changed the way that I at least thought about how I interacted with my own family. And Mm -hmm. there are some moments I really wish I could go back and change. Um, but I think I missed a lot. Yeah. I missed a lot too. Right. Yeah. And it's, it's, but you know, like to what you said, you can point that out to your own kids and be like, Hey, remember when I did this, remember that, that was actually really wrong of me. I really messed up. And I, that's way more impactful, I think, for your own children than to just go with what you've been doing for a long time. And mm-hmm. cause you want your kids to emulate what you do. Right.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, you do, and um and and that's not how we do as i say not as i do that is the absolute worst thing um my parents the same thing my parents are amazing i love my parents they they were they taught me great things i wouldn't change a thing in fact i just told my dad that which i recommend everybody listening (laughs) i said to my dad i wrote him a note and i said i uh you know sort of paraphrasing of course yeah uh you did great you're the best dad, I would never change a thing. Mm. And, and what a gift to give somebody. Right. And that's, that's my kids teaching me that. Um, that's where it all boils down. It's funny how these kids, they really teach us how to live life. And when you can listen from, from that perspective, it, 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 Makes all the difference in the world. Uh, Matt Eicheldinger is our guest here on the shift. Matt is a teacher. He does uh, really great Facebook, uh, Instagram videos, mostly TikTok, Instagram, and all those bits and pieces. Must make you a cool teacher, though, Matt. Um, <laughs> I, I, what's so? Are you are you Mr. Ike? Are you because um, every teacher's got to be given a cool name from the students?
2: Yeah, um, Mr. Ike is usually what I go by. I've been told that my last name in German means top of the acorn, so some kids call me Mr. Acorn. Or Mr. Tree oh, nice. Thingy is the I think the direct Tree translation. <laughs> Whether or not that's true, I don't know. But that's kind of what I'm known by. Um, and yeah, uh, being famous in the classroom, uh, not not too much. It's cool when uh, you know earlier on when I was in like the peak of of growth on social media. You know, people are trying to pitch you free products so that you can do you know paid yeah. advertisements. And so I would bring those into the classroom. And they're like, "What'd you get today?" And I'm like, "Well." I got a stapler, you know, like and, and <laughs> it was never as cool as they wanted it to be. Um, but I think uh, you know, I've also uh, have a journey of I've produced my first middle grade novel that got picked up in in January, and that was a 15 year long dream of mine. And so I made this book independently, um, and then it got picked up by a major publisher. And so that has resonated more with my students than being insta famous or on TikTok. They more want to see you know, Oh, Mr. Ike actually had a dream. And now he's like, actually doing it. He's crushing it. And that's been fun to share.
0: Hmm. That's leadership, my friend. (laughs) That's leadership. Well, it is because you're just going and they're following, which is so cool. Um, What grade are you teaching, by the way?
2: So I teach middle school language arts. So six and seven. Okay. Yeah.
0: Oh, very good. So writing and that it really is character appropriate for you then to have the book.
2: It really is. And that's where the the book. So I've always been a storyteller. Um, One of the things I do in my classroom is, um, and this came from, you know, my first year teaching is at the time, everyone was handing out candy for kids to answer questions. And I was like, with well, 21, not making a lot of money. I cannot afford the amount of candy these kids eat. <laughs> so what do I have to offer kids? That's like interesting. And so I started telling stories from my childhood and man, kids loved them. And so that became the incentive. We finish a goal in class, or if we get a certain score, cumulatively, I'll tell a story and I ended up merging them together into a book for reluctant readers. I figured like, if these stories are interesting, maybe kids will grasp on. And so when I was 22, I wrote it and then tried getting it published for 15 years and then ended up making it myself, uh, just an independent uh, published, like pay to publish. And Mm -hmm. then in January, it got picked up by a large publisher. And so now it's the lead title at Andrews McMeal for spring 2024.
0: Wow. Congratulations. Um, thank you. But isn't it, isn't it funny how you went from trying to change the world to actually changing the world by not trying to change the world? Right.
2: (laughs) Right. Well, I think, you know, like, uh, I, one of the questions I don't like is like, what's your five-year plan? Like, I don't, Um, you know, I, how am I supposed to know if you would have told me when I was 21 that I'd be, you know, being on a podcast talking about a book and my Instagram stuff, I would have been like, what are you talking about? Like, there's, there's no reason for me to think that I'll be doing the same thing that I will be doing right now in five years. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's okay to pivot. I think, I think it's okay to take a break
0: and do something and So different. I can tell you from experience that when I left music radio, mm-hmm. I created more business. I have a, a business habit and, um, and what it did was gave me the clarity to come back to radio, but I came back to talk and, yeah. and I, if you had asked me 15 years ago, will you ever do talk radio? Uh, F no, would have been the answer. (laughs) And, and here we are. Right. And it turns out that it's, it's been the biggest accelerator of my personal life and my professional life. So
2: can I ask you a question? Like, since you started, uh, talk radio, what's been one of like the, the biggest takeaways from the change of the music industry into what you do now, like for you personally,
0: yeah, uh, well, the music uh, DJs are they're magicians. What they do in seven seconds is magic. There's no denying that. <laughs>
2: okay.
0: What this my biggest takeaway is the importance of um, of sharing and getting into the journey of of being uh, a leader and being a better human, mm. doing the work, if you will. Uh, when when I was working in music radio, it's very easy to be showy um, and it's like a mask okay. and peeling away that mask is very, very difficult. And it takes time. In fact, I use the name Zach on the radio for most of my radio career. Interesting. Shane is my legal name. Okay. And what was one of the first things I did as I bridged that gap was I, uh, said, um, I started doing talk radio with Zach and then I was like, you know what, this doesn't even feel right. Hmm. And with the consult of Sudiel who's in Calgary, she, she said, then change it. And I said, she's always known me as Shane. I worked with her 20 years ago, 25 years ago. And she said, just do it. And I said, yeah, but I should probably do this and run this by there and everything else. And I learned very quickly that I was using those masks to hide myself. And it turned out, and I've learned this from, um, my current relationship with Melanie that all she wanted was more of me, right? That's Mm -hmm. the space that she created for love. She taught me that. And, um, just be yourself don't try to be anyway don't try to do anything don't it was again the mask and that mask was present so to answer your question more succinctly is that i took away that the mask of who i thought i should be i dropped it and it turned out the m- sooner i dropped that mask and stopped shooting all over myself the more people attracted and wanted more of me yeah And, um, I would encourage more people to, um, to go through that journey.
2: Isn't that powerful just to, when you finally come into your own at, at the Mm. age that you are and how long that takes. And that's what I like. Yeah. And that's what I I like about teaching is those kids are, we like to say they're trying on many different hats in middle school, right? Is this who I'm going to be? Is this who I'm going to be? What am I going to be? And it's, uh, it's, it's interesting to watch their thought process and what they think will get them attention versus what they actually get. Um, I just told a story on Instagram recently where I watched one of my students who wore the same thing every day. She wore a button up collared t-shirt and like a sweater over it every day. And one day she came wearing the exact opposite. It was like, you know, leisure wear leggings and like a crop top and big hoop earrings and the hair done differently and she approached a group of girls who was dressed in the exact same way and I got to watch from a distance this interaction and she just wasn't getting what I think she thought she wasn't getting you know pulled into the group they were acknowledging her but there wasn't a joy there. And then the rest of the day she just wasn't the same kid shoulders down, head you know kind of tilted to the side and and then the next day, she went back to her regular outfit approached the group in that outfit and it was a completely different interaction there is confidence there there is a genuine interest in each other and to watch a kid learn that in a day uh, man, I don't know that I learned that over the course of years when I was that age
0: Wow and isn't that magical those young kids and they they have figured out things that you and I have taken us all the way through our adulthood <laughs> right to do right like they, they know that stuff. I do want to acknowledge Halloween as uh, my belief that says Halloween is like the only day of the year that we don't wear a costume. Mm. It's kind of how I say it, right? It's the yeah. day where we dress the way we truly wish we could dress every day. 364 days of the year are the days that we're wearing a costume. <laughs> yeah. Um, so Matt, you share your stories on Instagram. Have you had any students come back to you and say, Oh, that's me.
2: Not that they've said that's me, but they've had plenty reach out to be like, I remember being in your class and I'm really cognizant about like, um, I don't want to tell a story to where a kid would recognize it and feel embarrassed. Like I want the story to honor the individual, which can be tricky when you're telling a story that deals with someone who might be going through uh, a tough time. Right. Um, So I do change names. Um, I do try and keep, you know, cultural experiences in mind. Um, but I haven't had anyone reach out to say that was me, but I've had plenty of kids who reach out and they're like, I remember being in your class. I loved this or that. I like that you're telling stories. And that's been really cool.
0: Mm, yeah, I love that. Um, let me tell you the the power of teaching. Uh, I, and I learned this is the crossroads because I'm, I'm not degree educated. Right? I mean, okay. I have a couple of diplomas. I've been on the radio for a long time. My sister has a degree. She's okay. got her master's now. Um, and all that stuff. And here's the coolness of of belonging and being accepted. (laughs) Uh, My sister's favorite teacher was Mr. Rooker. And I was speaking on the air about my sister's favorite teacher. Um, And how, you know, her name is Leanne, and she's a teacher now and everything else. And then she received a message because she's made friends with Mr. Rooker. Mm -hmm. I didn't say his name at the time. And it received a message saying, I think, I listened to your brother on the radio and he is in another part of the country and then got the message cycle going. And Mr. Rooker listens to the show, um, frequently and says, hello once in a while. Hi, Mr. Rooker. And, um, but at the same time is the inspiration. One of the largest pieces of inspiration for my sister to become a teacher.
2: Mm. How cool
0: for three different cities (laughs) and three different corners of this country. And so the impact of teachers carries on for so such distance and such time Mm -hmm. that it it is quite magical. So please just do me a favor and receive the fact that your impact uh, is yet to be discovered, frankly. And that's cool.
2: Thank you. And you know, that's man, I wish every teacher could experience like the ability to reconnect with their students. You know, we, it might be a little bit different at the high school level, but you know, especially early elementary, middle school, those kids are with you for maybe a year, and then you might not see them again, and you bond for a full year, um, and then they're gone, and and that can be hard. I think to see the you know the fruits of your labor, to see where did that kid go, what success did they have after they left my room, and so you know the social media thing has really also helped me see like oh that kid that maybe I had concerns about, man they're thriving. That kid that oh. I worked really long hours with before and after school, look at what they're doing now. And I and and in all professions, that'd be great to see. But I think especially teaching to see how those kids uh, navigate the world once they have left your room.
0: You're doing amazing things. And not only are you uh, doing that by your education and your career choice and all the things that great teachers do. But I can tell you this, you are inspiring other teachers. You are entertaining, which is fun. (laughs) Yes. And I think you're bringing, most of us, anyway, have Mm -hmm. been students at some point in our lives. And I think you're bringing us back to relationships with teachers that we've long forgotten. So I think that you're giving, Mm. my experience is that you're giving so much in the way you're doing it on the social, beyond what you're doing in the classroom now, that you're actually bringing everybody back into these relationships that they might have long forgotten about. And I thank you for doing that.
2: Thank you for saying that. Yeah, the um, reading comments from people has been really eye opening to see what they've experienced, and how they have maybe reached out because of the video. And when I started telling the stories, I didn't really know what I was putting them on the platform for, I don't know that I was looking for uh, attention. Um, I really just wanted to share what I had learned. And so to see people take those, and maybe like you said, reconnect with a former teacher, or even kind of reset their own approach to education um, has been one of the best experiences that I've found on social media um, is to be able to see something positive come out of a story rather than some of the muck that you got to get through sometimes.
0: Muck is a good word. And that is, we all know the muck. Uh, Matt Eicheldinger, teacher from Minnesota. I drove by your uh, neck of the woods there a few (laughs) weeks ago. I wish we had met sooner. We could have stopped in and said hi. Um, The uh, where should everyone go? What's one access point? That's nice and easy. It can be for your book. It can be your website. It can be your socials. We'll share it on our shift head Facebook group.
2: Well, thank you. Well, there's not many Eicheldingers in the world. So if you Google, (laughs) (laughs) if you Google Eicheldinger, you'll see my face pop up uh, for the first few pages. Um, But Matt Eicheldinger.com is where you can find everything that I'm doing, whether it's public speaking or writing. Um, the book is kind of a mouthful. It's called Matt Sprouts and the Curse of Ten Broken Toes. And it comes out in March. It's going to be a series. It's probably best for elementary to middle grade. But Instagram and TikTok, same thing. Matt Eicheldinger. Uh,
0: no one stole those names from
2: you. Huh? <laughs> no, one stole, no one's <laughs> tried to. Well, actually, I, I lied. There's been a few people that tried to impersonate me online, believe it or not. Uh-huh. That happens when your social media uh, takes off in a small amount of time. Um, but yeah, please reach out. Um, I'm happy to to come to your school and talk or provide uh, some encouragement if that's what you're looking for. And hopefully the stories that you see when you come to my platform um, inspire you, not just if you're a teacher, but hopefully to look back on some of the small moments that you've had in your life and realize your true impact.
0: It's a pleasure to meet you. Look forward to chatting again.
2: Yeah, me too. This is great. <laughs>
0: This is The Shift Podcast. We are flashing back for our Friday morning to 1980. The songs you've been hearing throughout the show go back to 1980. The reason why? Because this weekend is an important weekend with one of Canada's greatest people as he embarked on his amazing quest.
2: Maybe I won't make it, but if it's up to me, I think I can do it.
3: Terry Fox was an 18-year-old from British Columbia when he was diagnosed with bone cancer in his right knee. Amputation and chemotherapy left him with an artificial leg and memories of those still in the cancer ward.
2: Kids my age and younger, and, and you just can't leave something like that and try and forget it. And, and uh, I couldn't anyway. I had to try and do something about it.
3: And so he did. Terry trained on his new leg for 14 months, then told his family that he would run east to west across Canada, hoping to raise $1 million for cancer research. On April 12th, 1980, at the easternmost point of Canada, it began, the Marathon of Hope. And Terry would do it by running 26 miles, a marathon every single day.
0: So Terry Fox, I mean, just some context, 1981 million dollars, 43 years ago today in today's world, not only did Terry Fox inspire research and fundraising and all those bits and pieces, but has created a new standard for making money now in today's world, 43 years later, going for a million dollars for fundraising, some might say is a small number. But for Terry in 1980, that was huge, and he not only inspired all of us with his run and the stories, but he inspired change in fundraising in general. The annual Terry Fox run, first held in 1981, has grown to involve millions of participants in over 60 countries and is now the world's largest one-day fundraiser for cancer research. Over $850 million has been raised in his name as of September last year. Now, some schools do it this week. This weekend is the official run. Next week, a lot of schools do the run at their schools as they juggle schedules and all those bits and pieces. So the Terry Fox run this week, I've shared a phrase, a statement, a quote from day 15 of that journal that Fred Fox has shared with us many times here on The Shift, Terry's older brother. I want to set an example that will never be forgotten as he was doubtful at the end of day 15. And so inspiring. Absolutely. It was 1980 and coming up on Sunday here on the shift, Fred Fox is going to be back on the show. We're going to talk about the run. We're going to talk about the impact of the run, some stories. And he's also agreed that we can go back in time to some of our older conversations. Cause Fred has shared some of the Terry, Daryl, Fred, the three Fox boys <laughs> shenanigans. From when they were younger. So we're going to get into so much more on the impact of all these bits and pieces, not to mention some more of the readings from the journals that Fred has shared with us in the past. We also will introduce Fred to Patrick Charlebois, the brother of Sylvain Charlebois, who is a twin brother of Sylvain, who's been here on the shift, and how he was inspired to start running because of Terry Fox. Ran a marathon with Daryl Fox, and just last month won the North Pole Marathon as a Canadian and the first Canadian to do it and win it, um, all because of Terry Fox. So the paths are woven into our lives this weekend, 1980 Flashback Friday. Now, that was a long time ago, 43 years ago. There was a lot of fun stuff going on, too, in 1980. So we thought we would sort of set the tone, set the temperature of everything that's been happening. Leslie Nielsen was the star. Proudly Canadian, another one of Canada's greatest, was flying high in 1980, quite literally, probably in more ways than one, I'm assuming. He was the star of Naked Gun and so much more. Pulled off his first big hit in the 1980s and airplane.
3: You'd better tell the captain we've got to land as soon as we can. This woman has to be gotten to a hospital.
0: A hospital?
1: What is it?
3: It's a big building with patients, but that's not important right now. Tell the captain I must speak to him.
1: Certainly. Excuse me, sir. There's been a little problem in the cockpit.
3: The cockpit? What is it?
0: It's the little room in the front of the plane where the pilots sit. That's not important right now. You see, the first officer is ill, and the captain needs someone to help him with the radio.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It really is one of the funniest movies ever made. I think it's the best North American movie that's kind of like a Monty Python sketch, if you know what I mean. Love yeah. It. Yeah.
0: It's a little room at the front of the plane, but that doesn't matter right now. <laughs> oh god, that's good stuff. In a 2007 survey by Channel 4 in the UK, it was judged as being the second greatest comedy of all time with Airplane behind Monty Python's Life of Brian. Okay, in 1980, the best-selling car was made by a company that no longer exists in 2023, and that was Oldsmobile.
2: Cutlass Watchers, before you buy any car, watch this. Hey. Oldsmobile's new
3: Cutlass Sedan. Just because you got a little family, you don't have to give up the sporting life. My new
0: Cutlass Sedan gives me all the economy of the other Cutlasses, plus two more doors. Hi,
3: Mama.
1: Hi, hey, Mama. Hi, Mama. Hi, Mama. New four-door Cutlass. We need a
0: Ah, commercials were so good, right? The Cutlass. That's what people just called. That's it. It was just Cutlass. Grab the Cutlass. Was the best-selling car in North America for four years in a row until the Ford Escort came around in 1982. 1980, flashback Friday, and of course, what would it be? Well, all the songs through the show are of the 1980 inspiration. Number one, according to Billboard in 1980... And still timeless. I say Blondie's music today still transcends all the time of the 43 years later. Some other notables from 1980, of course, that we are going to hear on The Shift are some like Queen, Crazy Little Thing Called Love, Michael Jackson, Captain and Tennille. Uh, Ms. Josie will be happy to hear Gary Newman cars was number 12 of the year that year air supply Elton John Diana Ross and it really was a crossover era by the way um, because you had this new wave stuff sort of coming in but many people weren't done with disco um, because disco with the Michael Jackson songs and all that stuff was there but so was the brothers Johnson one of the best disco songs of all time yeah
1: baby the last kind of 1980 gasps of uh disco
0: right it Uh, really was it really was the last few gasps of disco and it, it stuck around too but so many timeless songs that we keep around we've got dr hook kenny loggins uh christopher cross with sailing cool and the gang still hanging on sos band pretenders you name it there's so many great songs Come on now. You're doing like the walk right now. Get the shoulders into it. I love it. Brothers Johnson right there. Alright, 1980 Flashback Friday. It's time for Are You OK with? Are you Are you? Are you, are you
2: okay. 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 Are you okay with?
0: Eight seven seven three nine nine ninety eight ninety eight. That's our phone number here on the ship. Some stories that might make you ponder some light, fun, silly, dumb, and sometimes scary stories. Are you okay with tattoos? Oh, come on.
1: Yeah, I'm a week away from my next one. One really? week, baby. I'm so excited. Hmm. What are you getting? I'm getting uh, Tributes Lego. to Black Sabbath on my bicep yeah um not not brothers johnson come
0: on man throw a little disc go not ahead.
1: brothers johnson no no sorry mm-hmm. no maybe if i listen to them for like 15 years and can you know go back in time and rewind to my childhood and put them on when i was playing mod nation racers and blasting black sabbath but replace it with uh, johnson brothers sure
0: yeah let's do it good you'll dance more uh
1: which maybe, is the yeah. most
0: painful of your tattoos Uh, definitely the Forearm
1: Knight, but that's a pretty easy place to get it. I've got, I've heard, I've got one maybe next year on the back of my right leg, and I've heard that is one of the absolute worst places to get a tattoo, pain-wise.
0: Well, as painful, absolutely, as demonstrated with NBC's show The Office.
2: All right, let's begin. This is where I grin and bow! That was just a cotton swab. Invest in softer cotton, sir.
0: (laughs) After guns, sir. Huh? Um, is this like a stat average person or is this your assumption? The average person really that has tattoos has four of them. Oh, not including people that don't have tattoos. No,
1: no. I don't actually know the stat on how many people ha- have like the them? average
0: like I would okay. guess it's make maybe one in four
1: have tattoos now.
0: Mm. The average that person guess. that has tattoos gets three or four of them. But a dad in Britain is not the average person. He has over six hundred. But they're all the same. Hope he gets a discount. 49-year-old Marco and Evans has his 667 tattoos of his daughter's name. He originally earned the record for the most tattoos of the same name on the body in 2017 when he had his daughter's name, Lucy, inked on his back 267 times. Then Evans lost the record in 2020 because somebody else did it. An American named Deidre Vigil had her own name tattooed on her body 300 times. Wow, not to be outdone, Mr. Evans reclaimed the title by adding 400 more Lucys and Lucy tattoos, 200 on each leg. I couldn't wait to claim back the record and dedicate this to my daughter, Evans told Guinness World Records. Evans said he initially set the record to celebrate the birth of his daughter and raise money for the hospital that cared for her during the first few months of her life. Well, that's hard to make fun of, isn't it? He's doing good dad stuff. It
1: is. It really is hard. Yeah. Except for the days when she misbehaves and he's like, Losie. yeah, I, I respect it. it. does it look great. Nah. Is it kind of cool? Yeah. Would you brag about it to your friends though? My dad has my name tattooed almost a thousand times on him. I don't think I would.
0: I think that if you're the dad, most dads would be like, don't make me stop this car. And he would be like, don't make me pull over and go to the tattoo removal place. You better behave or I'm taking your name off me. See, good threat. Good dad threat. Hmm. Are you okay with having a stuffy nose? Not really a really big fan at all, actually. It's my they least favorite thing nose. in the world. Yeah.
1: There's a reason I take reactin literally every day. Oh. It's because I'm allergic to dust and grass, everything. So I always yeah. have a stuffy nose unless I'm medicated. You're not allergic to grass. I th- That it's kind Friday. of grass.
0: It is Friday. (laughs) Many people take over-the-counter drugs to get rid of stuffy noses. Just one problem. They might not work. A leading decongestant used by millions of Americans looking for relief from stuffy noses, stubby noses, is no better than a dummy pill, according to government experts who reviewed the latest research on the long-questioned drug ingredient.
3: So the ingredient phenylephrine is the most popular oral decongestion on the market. And so the FDA reviewed uh, five studies over the past of two decades. And the panel concluded that this drug was no better than a placebo in, in terms of getting rid of nasal decongestion. And so now the FDA will now review this evidence. Um, and over the next few months, they'll decide whether or not to pull this drug from the market. Um, and that's expected to have a big impact. Um, It's also important to know that we're talking about oral decongestants, the ones that you take by mouth. uh, Your nasal spray is still expected to be effective.
0: That's concerning that millions and billions of pills uh, don't work. But hey, somehow can they can slide by the FDA. We've seen an awful lot of this stuff. That's S- MMSNBC, by the way. If the FDA follows through on the panel's recommendations, Johnson & Johnson, Bayer, and other drug makers will be required to pull their oral medications, canading phenylephalephalephalephalephane, from their shelves. And that would likely force consumers to switch to behind-the-counter pseudoephedrine products or phenylephedrine, phenylephedrine-based nasal sprays and drops. Who put such big words into the Friday show? I really tried to put as best pronouncers as I could. Uh, but yeah, uh, dr- f- drugs
1: are kind of like, you know, it is what it is. I'm sorry.
0: Fen yell, fen yell, You have fen-yel. fen yell. Fen-
1: ignore the Y. Okay. It, yeah. It sorry. might as well be a Z.
0: Okay, good. Typos (laughs) in the phonetics. Nice. Three larger rigorously conducted studies published since 2016 showed no difference between phenylephrine medications and placebos for receiving, relieving decongestion. Come on, brain. We're almost there. Those (laughs) studies were conducted by Merck and Johnson and Johnson and enrolled hundreds of patients. I don't want to do any (laughs) more.